point, he's primarily been on the offense. That is, everywhere he goes, all the cities that he visits, he basically is confronting people with the gospel. He's, he's trying to convince, he's trying to persuade, he's trying to reason with Jews and Greeks alike to believe in the gospel message that he's been preaching to him so faithfully. But when he gets to, the closer that he gets to Jerusalem, he now finds himself being on the defense Seems like everybody now is coming up against him. Jews, Greeks, as well as, as the Roman leaders are coming up against him. They're questioning him. They're confronting him with what it is that he's teaching and what it is that he is doing. In fact, things begin to tur- turn really hard for him really, really quickly. In fact, we read in verse 23 that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that he believes that when he gets to Jerusalem, but that that's pretty much going to be the end for him. That he believes that he's never going to be able to return to all of the churches that he had once preached and all the people that he had shared the gospel with. He's never going to see them again. He doesn't really know exactly what's going to happen, but he believes that the end is quite near. And so what he does is he begins, and this is what we find here in Acts chapter 20. He basically, in in the city of Miletus, he calls and he actually calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus. And he asks them to be able to come so that he can speak to them one last time. That he can give them some final directions, some final encouragement, if you will. And that's what we find within our text. And so he wanted to share these words. And in verses 18 through 24, we see him do basically two things. He talks about two things. He talks about his ministry in Ephesus with them. And then he turns and he looks to the future and talks about his ministry to come in the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you've been with us in our study, or even if you're familiar with the New Testament at all, you know that Paul was incredibly effective and successful in ministry. He had planted many different churches in a lot of different cities, and and he had led to Christ by his own self, directly from him. Hundreds and even of thousands of people came to faith in Christ. But we've been learning that God never called him to be successful. God never called him to be effective. God called him to be what? Faithful. Called him to be faithful. And above all else, what was Paul? He was certainly faithful. And what I think we see in this short passage this morning is this. Is we see two benefits that we often don't think of. Of what what happens to us or what God gives us when we are actually faithful to do what God has called us to do. Did you know there's all kinds of benefits for obeying God? Would you agree? All right. A lot of... a lot of problems when we don't obey, but there's a lot of benefits when we do obey him. Let me list just a few of them for you. Some of those benefits would be this. There becomes a greater confidence that we're truly born again. We begin to understand that the spirit of God is in us, and as we become more like Christ through our obedience to him and submitting to him, there's a confidence, hey, there's assurance that we're born again. Uh, there are other things, for example, and not only, not only do we have confidence in salvation, but we also get to escape the discipline of God. We escape the consequences of sinful actions. We walk in closer fellowship with God, and God is ultimately glorified through our obedience. He is pleased through what it is that we do. And those are all benefits to be able to obey Christ. But there's two benefits that we see here that Paul enjoys that I don't think you and I often think about. It's not usually clearly nearly as obvious as the ones that I had just read. And why is this important? It's important because every one of you, including myself, make decisions every day. 
And the majority of those decisions is either I'm going to be faithful to God and do what he calls me to do in my marriage, in my finance, in my home, in the world around me. I'm either going to be obedient or I'm going to be disobedient, one of the two. And what I want to do as a pastor this morning is I want to encourage you to follow obedience. Above all else, to be obedient. And when you are, there are two benefits that you and I receive from it. Two benefits, here they are. First of all, when we are faithful to do what God calls us to do, we can look back with no regret. We can look back with no regret. Now notice, if you will, in verse 18. Let me set this up for you. He says to them, he says, And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Now, he's gathered around. He's got these elders from from Ephesus around him. And he goes, Hey, I'm just reminding you. You remember my faithfulness and how I lived that faithfulness out in front of you when I was with you for the three years in Ephesus. You saw how faithful I was. Interesting thing that Paul does. Paul very rarely tries to argue that he's faithful by just going around telling everybody that he's faithful. I'm faithful. I'm I'm good at this. I'm good at that. I'm faithful. Basically what he does is he says, you know. He goes, you yourselves know. He actually uses that phrase again in verse 34. He says, you yourselves know. In other words, you know how faithful I was because you looked at the life that I was living from the first day I was with you until I left. This is an argument that Paul uses oftentimes, a strategy that he uses with the different churches that he had visited. Another church that he used the same idea with or the same strategy was with the church of Thessalonica. When he was at the church of Thessalonica, things heated up really, really quickly for him. People were coming up against him, and and people basically wanted to put him to death. And so in the middle of the night, he fled in the middle of the night, and he never went back to Thessalonica. And this is what happened. Some of the people in the church begin to murmur and begin to say, Paul is not faithful to do what God has called him to do. So he writes a letter in 1 Thessalonians, and he basically says the same thing that he's saying to those in this city, in Ephesus. Listen to what he says, if it sounds familiar. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, he says, You know, brothers. In verse 2, he says, As you know. In verse 5, he says, you know. In verse 9, he says, surely you remember. In verse 10, he says, you are my witness. And in verse 11, he says, for you know. Paul's point is, when somebody is truly faithful to God, it's obvious by the way that they live their life. That's a simple idea. You don't have to wonder. It's what it is. And he says, I was faithful by what you've seen. You know that I was faithful the whole time that I was there with you. You know, it's interesting to me because our fleshly, even sinful compulsion is for people to see us in a certain light. Would you agree? Right? If you're on Facebook, right, you're not, you're not sitting there going, oh, man, this is a really horrible picture of me. I want people to know me like this. No, it's, hey, take that picture again. No, take it again. No, take it again. Okay, got it. Oh, perfect. And let me put it on there. And what we want to do is we're trying to convey a, a particular way. That we want to control the way that people look at us. Uh, We want people to see us as popular, as smart, as talented, as successful, maybe even affluent. But Paul's desire is none of this. He could care less if you view him in these terms. All he wants people to see is that, more than anything, is that he is faithful to do what God has called him to do. And, And what he's saying is, he says, look, it's easy to be able to do. Just look at the way that somebody lives their life. If you're around them long enough, you know, are they living for Christ or are they not living for Christ? Are they speaking for him or are they speaking against him? Now, this doesn't mean that, that, that we can't be duped. Certainly, all of us have known people that we thought were in the church and they thought that they were, they were kind of going through the motions on the outside. And later, we find out that they weren't following Christ at all. 
and they were in all types of secret sin. I'm not suggesting that we can really tell the fullness of somebody's obedience either because some of what we do is always in secret. Our our giving is in secret. Aren't you glad, you know? They're not just like, hey, man, you know, I just want to let you know the guy on the fourth row two over, you, you know, you haven't been given for a while, right? That's not good. Uh, the idea there is that, is that we don't know. You may be extremely faithful, but nobody around you will ever know how faithful you are in certain areas. But in general speech, Paul says, if you want to know that somebody is being faithful to God, just be around him for a little while. Just walk with them. Just live with them. Just do life together with them. And so the question was, he says, you guys looked at my life. You saw with the time that I was with you. You know from what I did and what I didn't do, what I said and what I didn't say, you know that I was faithful to God. Now, how was he faithful? What was it about what he did that was so apparently obedient to God? What what was it? Well, he's going to actually give his own list. He says, this is how you saw my obedience. Look at the three things he says. First of all, Paul's faithfulness was apparent. It was apparent, first of all, through his humble service. Through his humble service. Look at 19. He speaks of serving the Lord with all humility. If there was ever an individual throughout history who, had, who could have been arrogant, had a right to be arrogant, full of himself, maybe have an attitude of, of, uh, of entitlement, all because of his education, his giftedness, his abilities, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But Paul was none of those things. We see, and whenever we read him speaking about himself, he's not out there saying, hey, I'm boasting in myself. Look how great I am. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Instead, when you read about him, what is he doing? He's demeaning himself. He's basically saying, hey, I'm no great apostle. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Literally, I'm a slave of Christ. Listen how he writes of himself. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. He refers to himself as the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle. Ephesians 3, 5. He referred to himself as the very least of all saints. In 1 Timothy 1, 15. He refers to himself as the foremost of all sinners. Do you hear the humility in there? And this is no feigned humility. He believes that he's the lowest of the low. Why? Because he compares himself with the person of Jesus Christ. When he compares him that way, there's no other place to go. You can't be proud. All you can do is be humble. How did he demonstrate this humility? Through his servant to, to, through, to his service or from his service to Jesus Christ. Now, how does somebody serve Jesus? I mean, he's not here. I can't make a meal for him. I can't wash his feet. I can't do his laundry. How do, how do we serve Christ? By serving his spiritual body here on earth. By you and I, I serve Christ humbly by serving you humbly. You serve Christ humbly by serving one another humbly when we come together. So here's the question. Let me ask you this question. Is your faithfulness to God evident by your humble servants to the body of Christ? In other words, if somebody were to look at you, if we were to line you up here in the church, would people look at you, see how you live, spending time with you, see your service that you give to one another within this body, would they say of you, yep, definitely humble servant. Now, if, if they don't, and they said, do you have anything to say about that, why people don't view you as a humble servant, this is what I think that would happen, but I want to cause you, caution you for this. We'd probably use very much the same excuse, would we not? One of the excuses of what we bring is, well, you know, I'm really, really, really busy. (laughs) The reason that I don't have time to really serve or to plug in or to be able to help other people in other areas of ministry is because I have a tremendous amount to do. I'm just too busy. But if you and I are somewhat, at least attempt to be honest, and we finish that sentence out, it's really a little scary. Because the answer is, look, if you're too busy, too busy doing what? Well, too busy, honestly, selfishly looking after my own interests. I'm too busy to serve you 
because I'm selfishly too busy serving me. Now, I know people are going to sit back and go, now, wait a minute, aren't we supposed to take care of ourselves? Aren't we supposed to have a job? Aren't we supposed to minister to our families? Of course we're to do all of those things, but not at the neglect of the body of Jesus Christ, of reaching out to those around. It's easy for me to serve myself. It's easy for me to serve my family. Why? Because I get something out of it. In many ways, the people that I need to be serving and really show my faithfulness are the people that I serve that I get nothing back from. Does that make sense? And so what we do is when we're looking at this, Paul was the type, he sits there, he says, you saw my faithfulness, how? Through my humble service to Jesus Christ by serving that body for three years, not lifting himself up, but but considering others even greater than himself. In fact, that's what he wrote as instructions to the Philippians. You remember when he says, don't simply look after your own interests, but look after the interests of others, considering others as more important than yourselves. See, here's the deal. Humble service goes together. When you're humble, you serve. When you're proud, you only serve yourself. Because what happens is you sit, and when you consider other people as more important than yourself, what do you do? You're going to sit there and go, i got to look after their interest. i got to look after them. i got to be able to help them. Here's the question. Like Paul, Paul says, if you look at my life and you want to know what faithfulness looks like from the outside looking in, if you were to look at my life, you would know that I was faithful because of my humble service to each and every one of you. How are you doing with that? Is it evident to everybody around you with the way that you serve one another that you indeed are a humble servant of Jesus Christ? Second thing that we see is that Paul's faithfulness was evident through his many sufferings. There's many sufferings. Notice this if you will. It says he, he mentions not only having been having served the Lord in humility, but also with tears and with trials. I think what Paul's doing is two things. He's actually describing two different types of suffering, an internal suffering and an external suffering. The internal suffering is what he always dealt with and what he always suffered from whenever people would reject the gospel that he was preaching. Or it would always be the, what he felt inside when he was preaching to the, church, to, to the churches who proclaimed to be followers of Christ, but they wouldn't listen and take his instructions and do what it was that they were supposed to be doing. That caused him great pain. And we see evidences of this through the scriptures. Romans 9, one of the best examples of it, he begins to speak about his heartbreak and the anguish that he experienced because his own people, the Jewish people, weren't coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, I would rather be accursed, me be accursed, if they would just come to faith and they themselves would be saved. And then, of course, we know in other churches that he writes to who profess to know Christ, whenever they're just disobeying and they're not listening to him again, he feels this anguish. In, in verse 31, he'll say the same thing to the Ephesians. He says, therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. When he was at Ephesus, he was teaching the truth for three years, but not everybody was obeying. And he kept pleading with them to obey, and they wouldn't. And so it caused anguish, and he began to weep, and he began to mourn because of their disobedience. And so he, he's been inflicted. He's suffering inwardly, but he's also suffered outwardly. In external sufferings, notice he says, he he mentions the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. If you've been following in our study, you know the moment that he came to faith in Christ, he was immediately being plotted against by the Jewish leaders. They were constantly looking how to destroy him, how to be able to wreck his name, wreck his witness, put his life, put him to death. They were always looking for these, which caused him much suffering. Some of that time of this opposition led to physical pain. And suffering, which included imprisonment and teaching. You say, well, what's the big deal about this? So he's suffering, but he's not suffering for unrighteous reasons. He's suffering for righteous reasons. 
See, sometimes we need to understand that we need to suffer. When we do the right thing, everything in the world is not going to go right. All our difficulties don't go around. No, there are types of faithfulness that we have that's evidence to everybody else. And the only reason that they know our faith, that we're faithfully, our faithfulness is evident is because we are suffering. This, it's interesting to me, it's sad but interesting, that modern Christianity seems to constantly suggest that faithfulness is often evidenced by an absence of trials, difficulties, and sufferings. In other words, hey man, if you have it together and you obey, everything's going to get smooth with you. Or they turn around and they say this, if you're in the midst of difficulties, if you would just be more faithful, if you would just have more faith, then all those problems would just just wash away. But the scriptures teach a completely different truth, do they not? Through, through, Through Paul. Paul sits back and says, hey, listen, the greatest evidence of your faithfulness is not when everything, by a lack of trials and difficulties and suffering, the greatest demonstration of your faithfulness, where it's revealed the most to everyone around you, is in the midst of trials and sufferings when you're willing to obey even though your obedience means that you will continue to suffer because of that obedience that's what faithfulness looks like see you're you're the what you and i often see is oftentimes when we we have a problem we're in a situation we we can make a choice either do what's be obedient or be disobedient the problem is disobedience usually gets us out of that difficulty really quickly Delivers us from that problem. The problem with obedience is it usually keeps us in the difficulty and even adds even more difficulties to us, more suffering because we're obedient to the person of Jesus Christ. Peter wrote in, or excuse me, Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, 23-21. He said, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is the gracious thing in the sight of God. For to, you, uh, for, for to you, this has been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. Look, I know that there's a great deal of suffering in this church. There's physical sufferings, there's, there's relational sufferings, there's financial problems and difficulties and in fact, I was talking with one of our elders this last week. I, I just kind of went down. I began to just mention just a few of the difficulties and challenges that people in our church were facing. The conversations that I had, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking to myself, this is so much, so much. But here's the question, the question that I would ask. I know that there are many facing trials and difficulties and sufferings, but are any of those sufferings due to your own obedience? Is, anything, is anyone in here suffering because they're doing what is right? Is anybody here suffering because they're a faithful witness? Is there anybody here because they're, they're, they're suffering because they are making the right choices? What Paul says is, this is the type of suffering that was evident with him. He was suffering for righteousness' sake. If you want to know if you're being faithful, that's one of the keys. It's not only for you to be able to, you and I to be able to, 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 to serve each other humbly, but it's also within our life. We're making right decisions to where our life doesn't look perfect. Our life looks very difficult because we have been faithful. There's a third thing, and I'm going to go over this one very quickly. Third thing is Paul's faithfulness was evident in his bold sharing. 
and his bold sharing. Now, we went over this at length last week. So if you want to know more about what it means to share your faith boldly, go back to that. But notice what he says in verse 21. Paul wrote, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both in Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God, and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me put this in a nutshell. He goes, you want to know how you see me being faithful? You saw me faithful because I preached everything, everywhere, and to everyone. In other words, he preached, he preached to everyone, to Jews and to Greeks. Those that would be receptive, those who wouldn't. He, he would end up preaching everywhere. It wasn't just in homes. He would preach in public. He was faithful to be able to do so. And here's the key I want you to see. He preached everything. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. In other words, he preached the whole context of the word of God. The stuff that people want to hear and the stuff that people don't want to hear. You know as well as I do, there's certain sermons you're like, this is good. This makes me feel good. And then there's some that you sit there and go, wow, this makes me feel awful. I'll take the good over the awful any day. And some people sit back, and this is what you might be saying. Well, I'm not a preacher. How in the world am I supposed to share boldly like this? But you and I know that we're supposed to share the truth with those that are around us. And I wonder sometimes, and some of you are bold. Some of you are like, oh, man, I shared the gospel the other day, and I shared it here. And, man, praise God for that. But I wonder if sometimes we don't see the responses of people coming to true faith in Christ because we're not giving them the whole gospel. We're just simply there saying, hey, you want your sins forgiven? Yes. You want to go to heaven? Yes. You want to have a right relationship with God? Yes. You want to be with him for all eternity? You want to have a nice mansion in heaven? Yes. All those things are fantastic. You want, you want to have God leaving, never leaving you nor forsaking you? Yes. But we don't often share the other side of the gospel, which is just the hard part going, hey, brother, we can talk about heaven, but I can't talk about heaven without hell. Hey, we can talk about forgiveness, but I can't talk about forgiveness until we talk about your sin. Talk about God receiving you through the work of Jesus Christ. And, 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 but that none of that will ultimately make sense unless I let you know that you are condemned in your sins already. And so what he says, he says, we have to be bold in sharing the gospel. We have to be bold in sharing and in, in doing what it does. Now, we sit back and we look at this and we think to ourselves now, what does any of this have to do with the benefit of obedience? All I've done so far is what Paul does is he lays out how he has been faithful. He says he's been faithful and that faithfulness has been evident to all in his humble service and his many sufferings and his bold sharing of the gospel. Now look at verse 25. Look at verse 25. He says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Here's what he's saying. Hey, guys, we spent three years together. I ministered to you. I talked with you. I preached to you. I served you. I suffered for righteousness' sake. It wasn't an easy road. I did all these things in order to be faithful for God. And guess what? I'm never going to see you again. I'm never going to see your faces again. And I'm leaving And whatever you do with what it was that I taught is now up to you. If you want to accept it, you accept it. But your blood is no longer on on my hands. You know what he's saying? He's able to look back at a period of his life and because of his faithfulness say, I'm able to leave and move on without any regret. I'm able to move and leave on with any regret. Now, I don't believe that Paul was saying this. I don't think that Paul was saying, I don't care how you respond to the gospel message that I preached. 
I don't think he's sitting there going, hey, man, it's up to you now, man. If you go to hell and you don't accept and you don't repent, that's okay with me. It's not my responsibility. Or if you're a believer and you just continue to disobey God, uh, that's not a concern of mine as well. We've already demonstrated that was a concern for Paul, was it not? He was concerned. He weeped. It was through tears that, that, that when people were rejecting the truth of the gospel and the word of God, it brought him tears. It was inward suffering for him. So he's certainly not saying that, not at all. What is he saying then? I think he's saying that mourning over the sins and sufferings caused by others is one thing. But mourning over the sins and sufferings caused by myself and then having to be under the constant weight of regret because I got myself into that difficulty is far greater. Let me, let me say it like this in the illustration. It always works. I didn't give you any illustrations. That's why it's been so hard to pay attention. But let me give you one to, 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 to land the plane. Um, when I was 18 years old, something drastically changed in our home. And that was I went from being a prisoner to be free. Now let me explain what I mean by that. My dad was very, very strict. Uh, in other words, I was already, I, I had turned 18 when I was still in high school. Uh, yeah, I failed first grade. And so, uh, and, um, and you're like, great. And so I was held back in first grade, and, and, uh, and, and so I was 18. But even when I was 18, I had to be in bed at 9 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Some were like, that ain't, that ain't strict. It, it, it's, it was strict for me. So I was in bed, and then on the weekends, I could go out, but I had to be back in bed by 10 o'clock. All right, on the weekend. So all of you are like, I got to be back by one. That's ridiculous. All right, I had to be back at 10. All right, the news wasn't even on yet. And so, so I'd, I'd have to be able to get back in, in bed. And so one day after I graduated, the day after I graduated, my dad came into my room and he goes, okay, son, we need to have a talk. I said, what's the talk, dad? He says, he says look, and that's never good, by the way. Your dad comes in, we need to have a talk. This usually, it's like your wife saying that. It usually doesn't go well. And so my dad, my dad sits me down, and he says, listen, he goes, everything is going to change here. He goes, you don't have any kind of curfew. You can come and go as you please. You do whatever it is that you want to, whatever you deem to seem to be able to be right. And, of course, I'm looking for some kind of camera, thinking that this has got to be some kind of trick. Is he serious about this? Uh, you know, it's like your wife saying, hey, you don't have to get me anything for, for Christmas. Don't fall for that, you know. <laughs> And so, so we kind of sat back, and, and, and he just told me, he says, no, I'm serious. And I go, Dad, what, what are you talking about? Why do I have all this freedom? And he says, this is just what I want you to know. I know that I raised you in the way that you're supposed to go. He goes, I raised you up. I did what God had told me to do. I, I was entrusted to raise you in the admonition of Jesus Christ. And he goes, you and I know I was not perfect in any of that. I stumbled in many ways, but generally, I think both you and I would say that I was faithful to do what God had called you to do, to teach you the gospel, to share what that looks like in living a life. And he goes, and now you go out and now you make the decisions. Because what you make from here on out is on you. It's no longer on me. He says, you go out and and, and what I want you to do is is live your life. But I'm going to tell you, if you go and get a credit card and get in debt, I'm not bailing you out. If you do something stupid and you end up in jail, I'm not bailing you out of prison. I mean, this is one of those tender moments between son and father, right? So, so tender. Thank you, Dad. And he goes, I'm just not doing any of those things. And, and, and here's, here's what I would say. I think I know better now what my dad was saying during that time than maybe what I did then. Then it just scared me. Oh, no, I better not get a credit card, right? I mean, that's, that, that was my big deal. But for now, I see it a little bit differently. And the way that I see my dad is what he's in essence saying is, I know that he would have mourned if I would have made bad decisions. When I made bad decisions, he mourned. But his mourning over my bad decisions was much different than him mourning over my bad decisions and him mourning over his regret because he was not faithful to raise me in the way that he should. Those are two completely different things. And I don't want you to underestimate this. 
I don't want you to under, uh, underestimate in any way, shape, or form how crippling regret can be. See, it's one thing to be able to suffer because of other people's decisions. We, we do that all the time because of other people's sins. And we look back, and that hurts, and, 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 and it makes us mourn, and it causes us to cry. But when people sin, or when people do wrong things, or we begin to suffer because it was our own willful disobedience before God, that type of pressure and regret is crushing. And what we find is we don't know what the future holds. We don't know what's going to happen, what we could ultimately do. But I'm telling you right now, it is a blessing when you and I can sit back and say, hey, hey, I can't exempt myself from difficulties. I can't exempt myself from hardships. It's going to be filled with it. In fact, in Acts chapter 14, it says that it's through many tribulations that you will enter the kingdom of God. Isaiah says of Jesus, the one that we follow and try to emulate, he says that he was a man of great suffering. If Jesus suffered, then guess what? You and I are going to suffer. There's nothing we can do about that suffering. It's what it means to live in a fallen world. But I'm telling you, suffering because of the difficulties of life is much different than suffering underneath the regret that we have because the suffering we experience is our own fault, that we caused it. And so it is a blessing. Look, many of you are just in the position of making decisions right now. Maybe it's in a relationship, in a marriage. Maybe it's moving. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's whatever it is. But whatever decisions I make, I want to plead with you to obey God, to do. Because in the moment you think, well, if I just make this decision, it might be wrong, but it's going to take away a lot of grief, a lot of problem, a lot of pain, and a lot of suffering. It's temporal. I'm telling you from somebody who knows, that would be much better than making the wrong decision, being disobedient to God, and looking back on a different time of life and constantly being reminded of how I failed. Now, I want to say this. All of us have struggled with some type of regret. Now, some of you need to get over it. And let me explain this in the nicest way. I've known some of the greatest parents in the world that their children are disobeying, and they sit back, and they are just kicking themselves, you know, all over. And, and, and I just want to sit there and go, hey, you were faithful. Mourn for your child, but don't mourn over your failure because you didn't fail in this. It's their failure, not yours. And some of you sit back, and you know what? You've made some really bad decisions. And you know as well, in, in, in a part, that regret is really good. In a part, it's, it's a good sign. You know why? Because it makes you realize, I don't ever want to do this again. It means that you have a soft heart. It means that you look back and you go, man, I, I did the wrong things, and you're broken. It's a lot better than sitting there going, no regrets. I did everything right. When everybody knows that you didn't do everything right. But what I'm saying is, and I want to encourage you, but if you find yourself in a place where I just I can't get past this, God's grace is sufficient for you. It's greater than your sin. It's greater than your regret. If you press into him and lean into him. But here's the bottom line. It takes a long time, oftentimes for me, for God to get and to heal up that regret. Are you, are you with me? It, it's, a, it's a long path. It would have been far better for you and I just to obey and to deal with the suffering than rather to have to deal with the suffering and the regret, which is so much heavier. And so let me say this last thing. You say, well, that's the first point. Second point, you're like, you can't do a second point. We're out of time. Very, very, very quick. Here it is. Very quick. Faithfulness allows us to look back without regret. But notice also, faithful allows us to look forward with clear direction. I want you to just pick out a couple verses here. Look at verse 22. He says, and now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing 
what will happen to me there? He doesn't know, but yet at the same time, the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Okay, so here's what he's saying. I don't know exactly what the future holds. Anybody know what the future holds? No. He goes, but here's the deal. I kind of got this feeling it's not going to go well. Uh, Holy Spirit is letting me know I'm probably going to suffer as I move this the way that things are working. But then notice what he says. But I do not account my life of any value, not as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Here, here, here's what he says. You and I, when you ask somebody what's the most important thing in their life, you know what they're going to say? My life. I want to do everything that I can to make this life the best that I can, as secure as I can, as comfortable as I can, as without pain as possible. I want to prolong it as I can. So give me a vitamin. Make me drink some kind of oil. I don't care. I'll drink it all. I want this life. Paul sits there and goes, my life itself doesn't really, that's not really drives me. When your life and your comfort and how well things are going to go for you in the future, when you live for that, your future is so cloudy. It's so, it's so uncertain because you don't know what's going to happen to you the next day. Does anybody know what's going to happen in the next day? It's like somebody sitting there and they, they run a marathon every day and then on one of the marathons they get hit by a car. I mean, that's horrible. That's terrible. You're like, didn't, what, what happened? I planned so hard. I wanted to extend this life. It doesn't, it's fleeting. But here's what, Here's what Paul says. It's not my life that is so important. That's not what drives me. If you have that, you have no clarity for the future because you don't have control of what's going to end up happening. He has clarity for the future. Why? Because the only thing he wanted in his life was to be faithful. What he said is, I don't really know what's going to happen in the future, but there's one thing that I do know. Whatever it is, whatever it brings, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. Whatever it is. Will you say that, church, today? And whatever you're going through right now, whatever challenge that you're facing right now, I don't care what area it is in your life, you probably know what it is, that you'll just sit there and go, hey, listen, I may suffer all the more for doing what is right. But if I do what is right, at least I won't live with regret. And if I choose to do what is right, I don't know what's in the future, but I do know this, whatever comes my way, for the glory of God, I'm going to be faithful to the Savior who saved me. Look, we can sit back all the time and go, hey, here's benefits. Benefits is you don't have to have regret. And the benefit is, hey, you have clarity of the future. You know what you're going to do because whatever happens, you're going to be obedient. But the true thing that drives us to be faithful is what? Our gratefulness for the Savior and what he's done of giving his life and dying. And dying on the cross and forgiving us of our sins. That's the greatest motivation. That's the greatest motivation. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that, God, my, my heart is heavy because every week I know that this flock is trying to make decisions. And they're trying to make decisions about what is right to do. And God, all I want is there's no decision that we can make that's going to take away every bit of suffering, every bit of difficulty in our life. But what I am praying for this morning is that the people of God will sit there and say, whatever it comes, whether I have to suffer more or not, I choose to be faithful to the strength and the power of God for the glory of God. God, wherever you lead, I'll be faithful. Whatever you call me to, I'll be faithful. No matter how hard it is, God, I'll be faithful. No matter how much suffering I must take, I will be faithful. God, I pray that this congregation will make that commitment to you. 
And whatever decisions they're making today, whatever decisions they're making tomorrow, we love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? Just take a couple minutes just to be able to respond. If you want prayer, I'd love for you to pray. If, if, um, if, if you want to just pray by yourself, this altar is open. Come, do business with God this morning as we respond.